Man, that was a great time. You can be seated this morning. I wanted to, as you're sitting down, just wanted to, to share a couple verses with you. You know, about our God. Man, when we come out of just singing songs of worship to the Lord, sometimes it's good just to reflect on, on His Word. In First Chronicles chapter 29, verses 11 through 13, uh, the Scripture says, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in the earth is Thine. Thine is the greatness, O Lord, and Thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from Thee, and Thou reignest over all, and in Thy hand is power and might. And in Thy hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank Thee and praise Thy glorious name. Like, we are here to worship God. We're here to worship Him, to serve Him. We're here to obey Him. It's about Him. It's not about you. It's not about me. And that's really the crux of the message this morning. And and before I I jump into that, um, I just wanted to encourage us, Grace Church, to to be the church. Uh, We're actually going to be doing a uh, different type of an outreach this Thanksgiving season. The past, I believe, five or six years, we've done uh, the Grace Gobbler giveaway We've given over uh, 300 turkeys pretty much every year to our community for free. They come in and get turkeys. They get the fixings and they leave here. And we just get to love on them. We get to encourage them. And, uh, you know, we said, let's, let's just do something a little bit different. And so uh, we came up with the idea of a 5K giveaway. Um, we want to raise $5,000 and we want to just give it away to our community in the form of $30 gift cards. So what we're going to do is uh, we're going to have close to 150 $30 gift cards. They're going to be attached to an Advent devotional. We're going to start a Christmas series the last Sunday of this month, and we're going to attach it to that devotional. Actually, each one of the families in Grace Church, you're going to get a devotional as well. We're going to, man, build up to uh, a wonderful Christmas Eve service this year. That's our plan. We're going to do the Advent, which means waiting, anticipating um, the coming of Christ. So we're going to attach it to that devotional. Um, and we're also going to attach an invitation to our Christmas series. And uh, the, the Christmas series is, is entitled Anticipate. We're just anticipating, um, you know, the, the, the coming of Christ. And so on Sunday, November 3rd, what we're going to do is we're going to give those gift cards, those little packets, we're going to give them back to you. And what we're going to ask you to do is to give them away. And we're going to ask you, man, do your best to find someone that's unchurched, okay? If you know someone that goes to a different church or goes to Grace Church and they are in need, by all means, give it to them, okay? But we want this to be, uh, man, an outreach to our community. So find someone, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker who uh, is unchurched and, and, and give them this packet. And uh, our thinking was, is like, could you imagine if... 150 different interactions took place around our community. Like we had, uh, man, we had tons of people from the community come into our church to get a free turkey. But let me just be very honest with you. We had one family come to church because of that outreach event. And that's okay. We were like, hey, you know what? This is just a service project. We're just serving our community. And sometimes that's okay. We're supposed to serve, okay? So we're not ashamed that we're not disappointed But we're wanting to do something different. Imagine if we had 150 different interactions with unchurched people, okay? So once again, find someone that's unchurched or find someone that goes to the Mormon church and give them a packet, 
Okay? And uh, all we need, listen, all we need is 100 families to give $50. And uh, you might be sitting there and you're like, why, do we, why wouldn't I just go and get my own $30 gift card and give it away on my own? You can do that. That's cool. But it wouldn't be with us. Like, we're, you know, there's strength in numbers. If we do this together, it's just going to be fun. We can celebrate together. And uh, I would also say some of you can give more than $100. And what you can do is you can provide the opportunity for somebody that's sitting in this room, sitting in the overflow right now that doesn't have the ability to give, you can give them the opportunity to give. All right? There's some people that are very strapped. They don't have money. And by you being a blessing, you can give them an opportunity to give. So it's more blessed to give than receive. Right? Church? It really is. Is it more blessed to give than receive? Man, Grace Church has been such a generous church um, throughout my life. I mean, I I just commend you. And so we're going to do this again. Mark on your offering envelope, 5K or 5K giveaway. And uh, all that money is going to go to the community in the form of gift cards, in the form of those devotional books. And, uh, man, it's just going to be a fun time. So you don't want to miss Sunday the 23rd either. It's going to be great. So we find ourselves in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. That's where we're going to be today. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 26 through 40. And uh, if you remember, the Apostle Paul has been rebuking a messed up church in Corinth. This church was young. This church was cool. This church was filled with lots of people doing things their own way. The city of Corinth was a lot like Durango. Okay, the city of Corinth was bigger than Durango, but culturally it was very similar to Durango. 2,000 years later, Paul's words still very much apply to us. Man, as we read and as we've studied through 1 Corinthians, it's like, oh my goodness, not much has changed in 2,000 years. So let me establish the context for you. The Corinthian church was a mess, okay? It was a messed up church. There was, there was no order, there was no leadership, it was full of chaos. They didn't know what good or bad worship even looked like. They just came in and they want, everyone wanted to do their own thing. They all wanted to uh, have it their own way. Many of them wanted to continue in their sin. Like they didn't want to turn from their sin and turn to God. They wanted to do what their flesh wanted to do. And uh, they wanted to continue to pretend that their lifestyles were pleasing to God. Their mentality was very similar to our culture. There's many religions, there's many gods, there's many goddesses, many perspectives. And by the way, we're modern. Like, we have got this figured out. We've got it all figured out. Much like today, the word on the street was, acceptable worship is whatever works for you. Does it feel good? Does it feel good to you? Does it affirm you? You know, if if it works for you, then do it. We don't care how you live or how you worship God. The question is, does it work for you? If it works for you, then who cares? Just just do what you want to do. Man, not much has changed, right, in 2,000 years. That's the message of our day. We have to remember... That worship is for God. It's not about you and your feelings. I I would just suggest to us this morning, church, that we try to find out what He wants. 
What does God want? What is acceptable worship to Him? True worship is worship that is acceptable to God. You can't come into church and say, man, I want what works for me. This is what I want. No, you, you have to come in and you have to ask, what does God want? What's acceptable to Him? Worship is about God. It's not about you and it's not about me. Now, the church is a family. God is our Father. And when we gather, we can't just do whatever we please. We're here to do what pleases God. We're here to worship God. You might say, you know what? I, I don't like rules. I don't like guidelines. Most children don't. God is a loving, good Father, and He gives us rules and He gives us guidelines because He loves us. I'm a father, four boys, and I better have some structure and some guidelines in my home or they're going to take over, okay? <laughs> and I do that because I love them. I want what's best for them. I want them to succeed in life. I want them to honor Christ. God gives us guidelines. He gives us rules because He doesn't want us to end up in a false religion. He doesn't want us to end up in rebellion. And most importantly, He doesn't want you to end up in hell. Now that being said, we'll begin in verse 26 and we'll continue until verse 40. And I just ask you this morning to listen to the Scripture, listen to God, and ask yourself, what, is, what, what would God have you to believe? What would God have you to do? Let's look at verse 26. Paul says, What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Now, let me just give you the picture, okay? This church in Corinth is fired up. Everyone has a song. Everyone has something to share from their personal devotions from the week prior. Everyone is speaking in tongues. Everyone wants to do what they want to do. And Paul says, let all things be done for building up. Now listen, it's, it's good to have personal devotions during the week. It's good to read your Bible. It's good to connect with God, to sing to God during the week. But just because you have a great devotional doesn't mean that you're going to be able to share your experiences with everyone in a church service. Some of us have been in that church, right? Everyone has a favorite song and everyone gets to sing their favorite song no matter how they sound. Come on, how many of you have been in that church, right? It's like, me. Sometimes they sounded like they got captured by ISIS, right? But they got to sing anyways. Paul's, Paul's saying, listen, if you sing to Jesus, that's great. But, but you're not going to sing in a church service unless you're good at it. Right? Unless you're gifted. That's what we're talking about. Spiritual gifting. If you've learned some, some great things about God, fantastic. But you're not going to teach unless you're a gifted teacher. At the end of verse 26, he says, let all things be done for building up. For, for some reason in our culture, and especially Christians, we've kind of gotten into this thing where we can't speak the truth in love. You know, someone is just awful. I'm kind of picking on singing. 
But they're just awful, and we can't say, you know what? That's just not your gift. You can make a joyful noise, but you're just not going to do it in front of everybody, right? We need to do all things for the building up, and your singing just doesn't build up, okay? Paul doesn't quench their zeal. He doesn't quench their excitement. But what he does is he channels it towards orderliness. There needs to be order in the house of God. So if you have a great devotional and worship time with Jesus during the week, I mean, praise God. But it doesn't mean you have to be on stage telling us, you know, telling all of us through a microphone. If we let everyone do whatever they wanted to do in a worship service, it would be crazy. It would be chaotic. It would be disorganized. So Paul says your your private devotional life is different than your large group worship experience. It's different. There's a difference. The two are not identical. Not everything that fires you up during the week is going to make it into the worship service. We may not sing your favorite song. We may not talk about your favorite theological subject. When we get together, it's not about one person. Church, that's what I'm trying all of us to get our mindset on is that it's, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about one person. It's about Christ. And when we get together, it's not about your wants or my wants or your desires or my desires or your demands or my demands. Instead, we have the mentality here at Grace Church, what's going to strengthen the whole church? Let's do that. Does it, does it benefit everyone? You know, the large group worship service is more about us and less about me. A strong, healthy church has to move from me to we. Man, we should be building each other up. We should be more concerned about one another than we are about ourselves. Paul then addresses three different groups of people. Uh, Three different groups. Tongues, prophecy, and women. So we're going to deal with tongues first. Last last week we dealt with the spiritual gift of tongues. And if you missed the sermon last week, um, you you can still watch it online. A little plug, you can go to gracechurchdurango.com. All the videos or all the sermons are videoed and uh, you can watch each sermon. You can watch last week's sermon. It's also on iTunes. Uh, so the videos, the podcasts, they're all free, okay? So you can catch up through the, the study of 1 Corinthians. But some of you here this morning, you may say, I have the gift of tongues. But maybe you've wondered, man, how is that supposed to work? How's that supposed to look on Sunday in a church service? And what Paul does is he lays down four guidelines for the use of that gift. And he begins in verse 27. He says, if. Now that word means it may or may not happen in a church service. But if it does, here are the rules. If any speak in a tongue... Let there only be two, or at the most, three. Now, most churches in America, they break rule number one. Okay, You walk in and everyone is speaking in tongues at the same time. They're they're fired up, but it's confusing. 
Because if you walk into an environment, environment like that, you, you don't have a clue what anybody's saying. You don't know what's going on. Nobody understands what's being spoken. And it ultimately distracts from Jesus. Some people will say, now wait a minute, you, you can't limit the Holy Spirit. And my question to that is, who wrote the Bible? The Holy Spirit of God wrote the Bible. So we're not limiting the Holy Spirit of God. We're obeying the Holy Spirit of God. So the scripture says two or three at the most. And then he goes on, and each in turn. What does that mean? Remember, remember here it's about us. And if we can't understand what you're saying, it's not building us up. So it's supposed to be done one at a time in order. And then Paul says, and let someone interpret. In the Greek, that means someone must interpret. Okay? There has to be an interpreter. Paul then gives the fourth rule. He asks, like, like what, if, what if there's no interpreter? Let's say someone right now stood up and started speaking in an unknown language. Nobody can understand what they're saying. What do we do? Look at verse 28. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. If there's no interpreter, be quiet. You can speak to yourself. You can speak to God. You can pray quietly. You can connect with the Lord. You can have a wonderful time with the Lord, but don't expect it to be broadcast to the whole church because it doesn't build the whole church up. And it's not necessary for the whole church. So, I know some people would ask, like, Justin, are, are you restricting passion? Are you trying to control enthusiasm and emotion? We wouldn't let TG lead worship if we were trying to control enthusiasm. Okay? Are you kidding me? No, not at all. We're, what we're trying to do is we're trying to direct it towards obedience to God. Now listen, emotion is not a bad thing. God has emotions. He loves, He hates, He weeps, He gets angry, He's filled with joy. We don't just love God with all of our minds. We also love Him with all of our heart. Paul's not, he's not saying not to be excited, not to express emotion, not to be passionate. What he's saying is, is excitement and emotion should also include obedience. Excitement and emotion should be expressed in a way that God accepts. Now, Grace Church is not against emotion. We're not against passion, excitement, or enthusiasm. You know, if you go to Sports Authority Field today and Peyton Manning throws... I don't know if they are playing at Sports Authority Field. Anyways, Peyton Manning throws touchdown passes. Okay, TG gave the same example. Everyone raises their hands, they scream, they cheer. There's a lot of passion. Like worship happens in football stadiums every Sunday. Jesus... 
He walked away from his tomb. We should get a little excited about that, right? It's okay to be passionate and excited, providing that it doesn't lead to selfishness and providing that it doesn't disrespect others who have gathered together to worship. So those are the boundaries on tongues. Paul then gives six guidelines to regulate the gift of prophecy in large group gatherings. Now, remember, Paul's giving these instructions to the Corinthian church because their worship services were out of control. It's a much-needed message for the American church. We looked at the gift of prophecy last week as well, so um, you can listen to that online. So let me ask, how does the gift of prophecy work during the large group worship experience. Look at verse 29. Paul says, let two or three prophets speak. Okay, so just like tongues, two or three. Uh, A way to maybe visualize this would be, this is how I visualized it in my head, would be like a conference. There's sometimes where I go to a conference to get built up in the Lord, to get some, some spiritual food, you know, because I'm doing a lot of speaking and I need to be speaked at sometimes. And they'll have multiple speakers. And they're prophesying. They're preaching the Word of God. Okay, So that's a way to visualize that. There's multiple speakers. They're prophesying uh, because they're speaking God's Word. And then Paul says, And let others weigh what is said. Last week we talked about how you're supposed to test everything. Just because someone's preaching doesn't mean they're speaking the truth. You should test everything I say. Please test everything I say. You're supposed to carefully weigh what is said before you just believe it. He moves to the third guideline in verse 30. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. So once again, he's he's saying they shouldn't all be speaking at the same time. There needs to be order. They should take turns. Um, If they all speak at the same time, it's not going to make sense. Okay? It would be like Pastor Bob... Myself, Pastor Chris, Pastor Keith, we'll all just get up here and we all just start preaching a message at the same time. You'd be like, this is just weird. You know, you wouldn't be able to understand what we're saying. Fourth guideline. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. He's saying, man, the the preaching and teaching of God's Word, it should bless you. It should encourage you. And you should learn something. I mean, that's, that's one of my challenges. A lot of people have grown up in the church and they've heard it all before, right? Man, no, we, our God is so huge. We, we can't put Him in a test tube and figure Him out. We should always be learning about who He is and growing closer to Him. We should be blessed, encouraged, and we should all learn something when prophecy is spoken. The fifth point is in verse 32. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. Paul says, if you're a true prophet, you'll submit to these instructions because all prophets are under the authority of Scripture. And the Scripture was written by prophets. Okay? So they're under the authority of prophets. Much abuse takes place around these verses, church. And I know some guys that claim to be prophets and uh, they'll say, I'm not supposed to be accountable to anyone but other prophets. So they're, they're living in horrendous sin, but nobody can tell them to knock it off 
because you're not a prophet. It's like, that's not at all what Paul's saying. Paul was saying, I'm a prophet. This is the Word of God written by prophets. You are subject to God's Word. You're not above the Bible. You're under the Bible. So a true prophet will submit to the teachings of Scripture. And if you're not willing to submit to the Bible, you're not a prophet. He goes on in verse 33. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Our God is a God of order, peace, and harmony, and unity. He's not a God of chaos. He's a God of order. The question is, so why is there so much confusion and disorder and rebellion and disrespect and death and destruction? Why? Let me just say, if it weren't for sin, there would be no disorder and chaos in the world. It would be perfect. So many say, why then? Why did God make war? Why is there rape? Why is there murder and starvation and poverty? And Why is there so much injustice? And God's answer would be, I didn't make that. I made everything good. Everything you see that's bad comes from the curse of sin. And aligning yourself with the serpent, Satan. Jesus is the one who takes sin away and brings order out of chaos. It's Jesus who takes the sin out of our life. He's the one that stops the chaos, the disorder. He brings order. He brings peace into our lives. The issue is whether or not you will love God. Whether or not you will follow God. Whether or not you will obey God. Sin, Satan, demons, death. Those are our enemies, not God. Jesus is the one who takes sin away. Man, God always gets the blame, doesn't He not? He always gets the blame. He didn't create that. It was because of sin. Jesus is the one who takes away sin, and that's why He is called the Prince of Peace. Paul says, When we get together for a worship service, when we get together as the church, and let's say someone walks in and and they're acting all religious and they're talking nonsense and they're full of disorder and they're chaotic and they're selfish, yelling and screaming and they're totally out of control. You know what it does? It, It paints the wrong portrait of Jesus Christ. Because people will say, wow, like Jesus must be disorganized. He must be crazy. Like Jesus is nuts. Because this is the weirdest thing I've ever been to. He must be a God who makes a mess out of things because His people are insane. You know, we don't want to give people that impression of Jesus. We don't want people to walk in and think, Jesus is nuts. Jesus is selfish. Jesus brings division. Jesus brings disorder. That's not not the Jesus I serve. That's not how we want to portray Jesus. Paul dealt with those that speak in prophecy and those that speak in tongues. He dealt with the the tongue-speaking folks and the prophecy folks. And then he moves on and he deals with feminist women. Are you ready for this? 
<laughs> Everything in you will want to disagree with this. Everything. And once again, I just have to say, this is why we study through the Bible here at Grace Church, because I can't skip things. This is a section I would love to skip. Okay? But I believe it's here for a reason, and we need to learn, and we need to grow from it. So, so Paul has some hard words for the ladies. But my hope and my prayer is that it will make you tender towards the Lord. Okay? So, brace yourselves. Alright, verse 33. I should probably pray before this. Alright. Verse 33. I'm praying in my head right now. As in all the churches of the saints, let me just say, all means all. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep what does it say? Silent. You ladies that just said silent, you weren't supposed to say that. <laughs> like it, it says it right there. All right? All right. That was kind of funny, you have to admit. <laughs> I have to do a little comedy just to lighten it up a little bit. All right. Ah. So Paul says, the women should keep silent in the churches. So, what does that mean? Like, what is that? What is what in the world? What is he talking about here? Ladies, does it, does it mean that as soon as you walk into this church building, you can't say a word? Does it mean you're supposed to communicate via whiteboards? You know, you carry around a whiteboard and you have to write down what you're thinking? You, you can't speak? No. Let me just be honest with you. No, that's not what he's talking about. These verses are a great lesson for us on how the Bible can be greatly abused. If you just take this one verse out, all you ladies can't talk. But you can't just take one verse and build a case. You're supposed to compare Scripture with Scripture. Many places in Scripture give us Examples of women who testified, women who taught. And in 1 Corinthians 11, they even prophesied in a church service. So if it's a godly woman who has a godly agenda and she has something godly to say, she can speak. If she's an ungodly woman, she needs to be quiet. Paul says, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. It, it can't mean, it cannot mean, 100% of the women have to keep silent. Because Paul would be contradicting himself. In chapter 11, it's the same book, same author. He's giving permission for godly women to speak. At this time... Many women were rising up in Corinth and they were saying, you know, it's all about women's rights. It's all about women's causes. And Paul said, that's not a problem at all. If it's in agreement 
with the Scriptures. Paul's telling the church, listen church, don't align yourselves with, with women you know, that are ungodly. Not, not all women love Jesus. And I believe here that he's dealing with women who were out of control. Many of them, if you remember, they were trying to be like men. They were shaving their heads. They were running around bare-breasted. They were trying to be something they weren't. They were trying to be men. They weren't godly. They weren't respectful. Daughters in the church were disrespecting their fathers. Wives were disrespecting their husbands. They were disrespecting church leaders. They didn't respect the Bible. And they didn't respect Jesus. And Paul's addressing women who are out of control and are completely ungodly. Now, because of all the abuse, I have to do this, because of all the abuse towards women and all the abuse that has been done with these verses, let me go over the top to be extremely clear, okay? Can a woman go to college? Of course. Can a woman go to Bible college? It's where I met my wife. Can a woman go to seminary? Yep. Can a woman be in full-time ministry? Yes. Can a woman teach? Yes. If she has the gift of teaching. Can a woman lead? Yeah, if she has the gift of leadership. Can a woman give a testimony on Sunday morning? Yes. Can a woman publicly read Scripture? Yes. Can a... Woman lead worship. You visually see that here at Grace. Can a woman serve communion? Yes. Can a woman be a deacon? Yes. Romans chapter 16, verse 1. A woman deacon. Are women lesser than men? No. Both men and women are made in the image and likeness of God. Godless, feminist women in Corinth were full of agendas. They were beating the drum of, like, we're for women, we're for women, we're for women. And Paul says, the church is for Jesus. If your focus is on anything other than Jesus, it's the wrong mission. That's what he's saying. The church has to be about Jesus. And Paul tells these women not to speak because they lack wisdom. Now, church isn't a time for them to speak. It's a time for them to listen. It's not a time for them to argue. It's a time for them to repent. Verse 35. If there is anything that they desire to learn, let's say they have a theological question, a disagreement, a debate, let them... What? Let them ask their husbands... At home. Now this, this is a word from Paul directed to married women who were out of control. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Paul's not talking to the women who were leading worship, who were loving the Lord, who were reading their Bibles, they were respecting male leaders, they were respecting the teaching of Scriptures. He's not talking to them. He's talking to the feminist, ungodly women who rose up and declared war on men. They were full of disrespect, and many of them were married. And some women will say, 
There's no difference between men and women. We're not male and female. We're the same. And Paul's saying we are in fact different. And it's not good and bad. It's, it's left hand and right hand. Okay, that's what it is. And we're working together. You know, the sad reality is behind every wife that's out of control, you'll find a man who has no clue how to lovingly lead. The problem began all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Adam did and said nothing. He just sat by like a coward, taking the path of least resistance because he didn't want to get into it with his hot-headed, emotional wife. So she said, you know what? Somebody's got to lead. Somebody's got to do something. Somebody's got to make a decision. So she decided to do it. She decided to lead. You know, there's a lot of women like Eve. They're deceived. And they get to the point where they say, we don't need men. Like, they're idiots. Awesome. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they get to the point where they say, like, let's just take control. And that includes the church. Many men are passive. They're silent, cowards, sitting idly by saying, Whatever you want, baby. Whatever you want. Fellas, that's not love. Men, we learn how to love our wives from Jesus Christ. Did you know that Jesus has a wife? His bride is the church, and she is a mess. She is messed up. She doesn't respect Jesus. She doesn't follow Jesus. She doesn't listen to Him. Doesn't treat Him with dignity. And how does Jesus respond to His unlovely wife? He loves her. He's patient with her. He's compassionate with her. He's merciful with her. He never abuses her. He never threatens her. He never bullies her. You know, the fact is, is men usually go one of two ways. We, as men, we either become cowards or we become bullies. Gentlemen, we're supposed to be like Jesus. We initiate. We love. We bless. We encourage. We serve. The women in this church, they wanted none of that. They didn't want that. They were too busy arguing and fighting and being totally unteachable. And Paul ends by asking a series of questions that I I find most interesting. Look at verse 36. Or was it from you that the Word of God came? Paul says, did you write the Bible? Some of you say, I disagree. So? Did you write the Bible? You say, no, but I should have. Really? You got C's in community college. Like, 
Like, you have no right to start a religion. Well, I don't like parts of the Bible. Me too. But we don't get to pick and choose which parts we'll follow and which parts we'll skip over. Paul goes on, Or are you the only ones it has reached? Are you the only ones who get a copy of the Bible? Maybe, just a suggestion, maybe instead of arguing, you should read it. Come on, let's be super honest here. Gut-richingly honest. Most of us haven't even read this. And we argue and fight against it. Instead of constantly disagreeing, maybe you should repent and surrender. Verse 37. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. Paul said, the Lord commands this. See, as God, He doesn't give suggestions. He gives commands. You say, I don't like that. Let me just say, do do you believe that God is good? Then His orders, His commands are good. I would encourage you to read this book, all of it. Read it. And if you chuck it across the room... Pick it back up and continue reading. Okay? Just just read it. Wrestle with God until you come to the place where you realize that He's good and you're bad. And you come to the place, place that He's right and you're wrong. Just keep wrestling with it. Ask questions. It, man, we invite questions. I have questions. Ask away. God's a big boy. He's not afraid of your questions. Ask away. Learn, seek Him, follow Him. If you seek, you will find. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Paul says, if you won't listen to God, if you won't listen to Scripture, we won't listen to you. Once again, Paul is addressing the self-righteous, over-religious, out-of-control churchgoer who thinks they have it all figured out. We're not going to listen to you. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. What do you do with that? I don't believe tongues exist today. You can't forbid something God doesn't forbid. But all things should be done decently and in order. Here's the bottom line. Here is the bottom line, church. We are here to meet with Jesus. Every agenda, every single one of them, every agenda is secondary to Jesus and the worship of Jesus. Jesus took away our sin. He brings order out of chaos. And He is Lord over all creation, over all peoples, times, cultures, places, genders, races, Incomes. He's the boss of all your bosses. Jesus is worthy of our worship and He's waiting for your response. 
So will your response be worship or will it be rebellion? How, how are you going to respond to Jesus Christ? Here's the deal. Here's the fact. is Jesus forces you to a decision. You either choose Him or you reject Him. How are you going to respond to Jesus? Do you love Him? Do you follow Him? Maybe you think He's still dead. Maybe you think, this is all stupid and I can't wait until He shuts up so I can get out of here. What, what do you think? What do you think? It all comes down to you and Jesus. So how do you respond? How do you respond to Jesus? Do you respond with repentance of sin and faith? Because that's the Christian response. That's how you become a son or a daughter of Christ. You can become a Christian today. It's between you and Jesus we invite you to put your faith in Christ. Give your, your life to Him. Give your sin to Christ. Man, we invite you to that. Let me close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank You for being a good God. For being the living God. For being our God. For being a God who speaks to us through Your Word. Jesus, thank You for Your church. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for forgiving our sin. Lord, I pray that you would bring order out of chaos. I pray that you would lead us and you would guide us. And Holy Spirit, I, I pray that you would continue to make us more and more like Jesus Christ every day. And I pray that you would continue to bring more and more people who uh, need you and more and more people who are in love with you and we just so greatly to des- we greatly desire to impact La Plata County with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks for your time.